great that you guys are excited and ready to receive the living word of God. Who's ready for that today? So, before we get started, I want you to just join me in saying our confession. Now, listen, I know for some of us, maybe you're here, maybe you're online, and thank you for allowing us to worship with you, to encourage you, to point you back to the truth in God's word. But I want you to join, me, join us in this confession if you are open, if you are willing, if you are ready to receive truth from God's word. Amen? So say this with me. I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart that's ready to understand and receive the living word of God. Now, come on, give it up one more time. So, today we are continuing in the latest series that we started last week. It's entitled, True Lies. And I know that that title in and of itself is quite confusing if you think about it at face value. But what we are addressing through God's word is true lies. What do I mean by that? We're talking about lies that we take on as truth. Now, you might say, well, that makes no sense. But I can assure you this. Every one of us knows what it is at some level to believe a lie and accept it as our truth. And if you're not thinking that deeply, then I want you to consider this. Just look at your results. Are your results consistent with truth? Are you believing that the life you're leading, the choices you're making, the beliefs you're holding to are great? Because if they are, guess what? The results will match it. And there is no greater truth than the truth that God's word offers us. And so I want you to understand something. My job here today is not to convince you of anything. That's not my job. My job is not to get you saved. I'm not God. It's not my job. My job is simply to point you to the truth in God's word. And you know what our job is? To consider the truth and consider if it's our truth. If we truly need that in our lives. And so, today as we get started, I'd like to talk to you on a topic that is a lie that has seeped into the lives, the hearts, the minds of many people today, many believers today. And what I want you to consider is not what I have to say, but the truth in the scriptures that we will examine. Today I want to talk to you about the topic, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Now, I, I know that for some of you, I just ruffled some feathers because at this very moment, you're thinking about everything that you believe qualifies you as a sinner. The lies you told, the mistake you made, the blow up you had right before you got here, the shortcomings that you're prone to, the areas that you struggle with in life that still persist. And maybe, just maybe, you're of the belief like I was at one time, that the things you do when you fall short, break your relationship with God. Maybe you're that person who believes that every time you do something sinful, that you lose your salvation, or you aren't forgiven by God until it's confessed. Yeah. 
Don't tune me out just yet. We're going to go to the scriptures. Or maybe you believe that your salvation is secure, but that you lose fellowship with God to the extent that your prayers can't be answered, you can't be used by God, or somehow you're put on time out by the Lord. But if those of you are your beliefs, then these are likely some of your results. And I'm going to qualify this with scripture. If those are your beliefs, these are probably some of your results. You often question if God still loves you. You are more conscious of what you believe is wrong about you than what God says is right about you. You struggle with thoughts rooted in guilt and maybe even at times find yourself feeling like a hypocrite. I used to be that guy. I used to come to church. I used to go to church. And I used to say, man, I feel like such a hypocrite. What I didn't know was the truth. Stick with me for a moment. We're going we're gonna to go to the word on this. Uh, when you pray, this is one of the results you might be experiencing. When you pray, it's a burden because, of the, because the majority of your conversation with God revolves around telling him about your shortcomings in an attempt to feel better about yourself. You question your salvation. You live with a sense that you are never good enough for God, so why try? You are often restless because you lack a true sense of peace. And if this is your present truth, if this, if this is the truth about the results that you're getting right now, listen today to God's truth in the midst of the lies that you presently believe. Don't tune me out. Everybody say this with me. I love, I love Pastor Jose. I feel better already. Listen. I want you to consider the truth in God's word. And so Romans chapter 8 verses 37 through 39 says this. No. You know, my grandson's getting to that age. He's starting to speak words. And, and I'm waiting for him to discover that word no. Because when you get to no, it's like no. But I want you to consider the emphasis of why that word is here in the scripture. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Question, what is he talking about? Glad you asked that question. We'll get right back to that. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, understand this. Because now you're going to get truly excited if you consider what we're talking about here. When this scripture says that you are more than a conqueror, it's important to understand the context of that statement. Romans 8 is referring to your position in Christ in relation to the sin that you still believe is yours. Now, don't take my word for this. I pray that you will be intelligent in this i'm not saying you're not intelligent but that you would go beyond just hearing my words and that you would go back to the scriptures because romans 8 completely obliterates the issue of sin in the life of the believer please don't take my word go study it for yourself and so the reason why you have overcome and you are called more than an overcomer is because God loved you enough 
to overcome sin on your behalf and mine. You know how you know when you're more than an overcomer? When it's beyond your strength to do so. That's the power of God. Romans 5, chapter 12, and verses 14 and 15 says this. When Adam sinned, so question, who sinned? Adam, right? So when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Sit with that for a moment. We're going to dig into this a little bit more. Verse 14, still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. In other words, it's a shadow of what was the truth, what was, to, what was truly intended to happen. Verse 15, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace. I'm going to say that again. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, watch this, and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Now, in light of these verses, I want you to consider that it's a common belief that sin comes by way of that which we do which is wrong. In other words, I tell a lie. I, I did something sinful. Therefore, I am a sinner. That's the thinking. But in these verses, we see that sin came by way of what we became and inherited from the beginning. I'll read verse 12 to you again. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. Listen, for everyone sinned. And you know why that's important? Because what we believe is if I do something wrong, I committed a sin. And what we fail to realize, now I, I, don't tune me out just yet. Don't tune me out. Stick with me. Let's go to the scriptures. So listen, we were made sinners because of what Adam did, not because of anything we did. You were a sinner. I was a sinner before we could ever do anything wrong. Therefore, it's important to understand this. Sin cannot be defined by what you and I do. Sin is a nature that we inherited. It is a person. It is something that we, by nature, became before we ever dropped the ball. And thus, it's the reason why Jesus had to overcome sin in the form of a man. Let me put it to you this way. A man broke the law, a man had to make up for it. But because none of us could... There had to come a better representative, all right? So that's why the scripture says that you are more than a conqueror because the greater one overcame for you and I. Listen to Hebrews 10, 14 through 18. Again, please don't take my word for it. 
Look at the scriptures. Verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now there's a reason why we're reading this in the King James. Because by and large, every other translation translates it this way. We are being made holy. But the Greek does not say that. The Greek says we have been set apart, sanctified. And when that, that word sanctified there means that we have been set apart as holy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are we talking about here? Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. So watch what this witness is always testifying. For after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. So God has inscribed something in the heart of believers. And listen to what it is. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. This is not my opinion. Don't get mad at me. Go to God on this one. Verse 18. Now where remission of these is, here's what that means. Where forgiveness has been rendered already, there is no more offering for sin. You know what the scripture is basically saying there? Jesus is not going back to the cross again and again and again and again and again and again for the many times that we mess up. He paid the price once and for all is what the scripture says. So the moment you accepted Jesus, you rejected sin and the scripture declares that you became holy. And if this is so, and it is, then how can it be possible that some of us still struggle to believe that we are a sinner instead of choosing to continue to live with the belief that God has already declared you righteous and holy? That's an important question. Now listen, listen closely. Every one of us is subject to those feelings, to those beliefs, to those thoughts that say, I messed up, I'm no good before God. Listen, I was that guy when I came back to church in my young adulthood years. Many, many years ago, but I still stay 25. Back then. Back then. Where I believed that I had to clean up my act in order to be right with God. But listen to the faulty train of thought in that belief system. I got to clean myself up and go to God, but it's his job to do that, not mine. Think about that. Why else would I go to God then? What's the point of it? I could do it all by myself. And so the Bible gives us a great example of God's view and approach to sin through the life of a woman who lived in great error. Turn with me in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. It says, At dawn he, meaning Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. So there's a crowd. There's a mass amount of people. And he sat down to teach them. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Accusing him of what? I'm so glad you asked. We'll get to that in a second. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So get this, this woman was caught in the very act of a grave sinful act. There are many people today that if you saw that woman here, you would go, oh, my God, she just got caught and she dares to walk in here? Think about this. According to the Mosaic law, There was only one recourse that was adequate for this woman. The law said that if she was caught in adultery, the consequence was death. Now, get this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus, the scriptures tell us, in order to trap him. They were looking to see if he would break the law and thereby deny his claim to be the son of God. Why do I say that? Keep in mind that this is Jesus, God on earth in the form of a man. This is the very one who claimed to be the one who gave the law to Moses and thereby gave it to these teachers of the law that now call this woman to be stoned to death. This is the one who stated that you should forgive as you have been forgiven, that you should turn the other cheek in the midst of an offense. To them and the crowd around them, This was a test of what seemed to be a contradiction of his teachings and his claim to be the Son of God. They were looking to see if Jesus would defy the law as the one who claimed to be the one who gave it. So they're saying, let's see if you're really God. Because God said in the law that if you're you're in adultery, that yeah, you should be stoned. So what do you say, Jesus? I love the fact that Jesus remained silent. And they kept pressing him, pressing him, and pressing him to condemn her according to the law. And what we see is that God did not, send, uh, did not hold her sin against her. But instead, listen closely, he removed the condemnation that held her there. Listen closely. This woman was aware 
of where she went wrong. These teachers of the law and these Pharisees saw the need to condemn and punish her according to their understanding of God. But what we see is that Jesus saw past her sin and perceived that before him was a woman in need of redemption. You ever stop to think about this? Why when Jesus said, whoever among you is without sin, be the first one to cast a stone. You know why Jesus said that? You know why they all dropped their rocks and walked away? Because according to the law, if you break one law, you're guilty of them all. There's no such thing as murder is worse than a lie in the law. It's all the same according to the law. And so Jesus addresses the greater issue. Yes, there was an issue of sin, a, a life apart, an understanding apart, a belief system that rejected God. But Jesus saw past that shortcoming and he saw the need and met the need by removing the very thing that kept her from coming to Jesus in the first place. Now, how does that apply to our lives? I can assure you that we have all been there where you dropped the ball and what you felt was condemned. You felt guilty. You felt bad. You felt wrong in the eyes of God. But the, the scriptures say in John 1.17, and we didn't put that up. This is just my own personal notes. The scriptures say that the law came through Moses, but Jesus came full of grace and truth. Listen to what Jesus offers the world. My friend, whether you believe in Jesus or not, let me say this to you. What God did through Jesus has removed the very thing that you hold on to as a stain in your life. You do not have to get your act together to be all that God has called you to be. You do not have to work your way into the kingdom and the good graces of God. If it depends on you, my friend, you don't need God. You just need to keep doing what you're trying to do. The problem is this. What you and I try to do does not work. I'll prove it to you. Because we still drop the ball. So, in light of this biblical account, we must consider this one simple truth, that the thing that hinders us as believers isn't sin, it's condemnation. The thing that hinders us as believers is not sin, it's condemnation. Before you tune me out, let's go to the scriptures. I want to leave you with a couple of things that I believe can help you to move past this issue of sin that we are so prone to hold on to. The very first thing I want to leave you with is that a sin consciousness is a barrier to your freedom in Christ. I'm going to say that again. A sin consciousness is a barrier to your freedom in Christ. Let me put it to you this way. If all you do is think about how bad you believe you are, it is a barrier to the very freedom that Jesus has made available to you and I and the world. Now, get this. Prior to Jesus, what prevailed in the hearts of all men was the continual consciousness of sin. Because there was no way out of it on our own. 
Look at the scriptures in Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 3. I'm reading from the Message Bible. I just like the simplicity of it. It says the old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. In other words, it was a shadow. It was meant to point us to something greater. It was meant to reveal to us our need is what the scriptures revealing there. Since that old plan wasn't complete in itself, it's talking about the law. It's talking about you and I depending on what we do for God, to be right with God. So it says, since the old law plan wasn't complete in itself, it couldn't complete those who followed it. To make you right. No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, they never added up to a complete solution. If they had, the worshipers would have gone on merrily, would have gone merrily on their way, no longer dragged down by their sins. You know how the Greek renders this? It says they would no longer live with a consciousness of sin. But instead of removing the awareness of sin, now it's talking about these people who still relied on the law and their sacrifices, when those animal sacrifices were repeated over and over, they actually heightened the awareness and, uh, heightened awareness and guilt. The plain fact is that bull and goat blood can't get rid of sin. Let me put that another way. The fact is this, that what you do to try to make yourself right in God's eyes cannot get rid of sin. So before Christ, man's attempt to be rid of sin was restricted to annual sacrifices and behavior modification. The problem is that it never removed the guilt and condemnation. It maintained at the forefront of your belief and your thinking, I'm wrong. And as such, there remained a consciousness of sin. Now here's why that's so important to consider in light of what we're discussing. Because if you're still conscious of what's wrong about you, don't you know that that's the direction that you'll go? That's where we're going to go. Because that's what we believe. Our actions follow our beliefs. Anyway. So the impact it had on these people is still prevalent in the hearts of many today. We're trying to do right by God, to be right with God, while still believing that there's something wrong with us. Hmm. So if it's not our sacrifices and our behavior that we change to do away with the issue of sin, what does accomplish it? I want you to consider with me Isaiah 43, verse 25. Isaiah 43, verse 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So I want you to think about how this, this works, right? The scripture says that God blots out our sins. So if I were to ask the average person, what's my sin? You would say, my past. You would say, my anger. 
you would say, my lusts. You would say, my, uh, oh, nobody wants to tell on themselves. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> look, the list can go on and on and on, right? So here's what we do. This is how we see it. This is my issue. This is what's wrong with me. God, this is, where, this is what our prayer life looks like. But the scripture says that God, he's the one who blots out your transgression for his own sake. In other words, because I'm that good, I have no choice but to do this, is what it's saying. And he remembers your sins no more. So that word blot out there means to wipe out. It means to obliterate, to exterminate, to, to do away with, to strike away. So God does this, right? I don't remember it, but you know where we go wrong? We keep a copy. So we go to God with our list every day. Father, please forgive me for my many sins. Father, I'm such a bad man. I'm such a bad husband. I'm such a, a, a cruel person. I wish I could change these areas. I wish I could, I, I could see something different. And we go to God with this laundry list of our failures. Let me read to you what God says. Not what I say. What God says. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Stop holding on to the copy of something that God did away with. I got to get moving here because that's just point one. Let me say this to you. God's grace isn't given because we've done good works. God, that word grace there simply means his unmerited favor. His, his favor that you can't earn. So grace isn't given because we have done good works. It's given so that we can do good works. So listen, becoming righteous and holy have nothing to do with our actions. They are not the result of our behavior. Instead, they are the fruit of what we believe. I'll prove it to you. Ephesians 2, 8, 2, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace. It is by God's favor. It's by God's unearned favor towards you that you have been saved through faith. It's talking about belief, heart belief there. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, in other words, not by what you and I can do, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, watch this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So anything good that you could ever do, any holiness, any righteousness, anything that you could do unto God, God prepared it before you got there. That's the goodness and mercy of God. Listen, 
To live by grace is to accept the full payment for your sin on your behalf. To agree and still believe that you are a sinner as a born-again believer is to reject that payment. It's to reject it. And you know what else it is? It's an attempt to carry the cost of sin. And that's not your job and mine. Thank God for Jesus. So here's a question. What do I do when I fall short? Right? Some of us believe that we have to go through an emotional roller coaster of sorrow and guilt and shame in order uh, to then get to the place where we can confess it so that we could get right with God. I have news for you. Everybody say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. All right, now you're ready. I have news for you. Confession of sin, once you're saved, does not make you right with God. Now, I know that there are a bunch of you right now, whether you're here or online, you're going, heresy. Heresy. Let me take you to the scriptures. Please, don't take my word for it. Let's look at the word of God. I'm going to read this quickly because we're running out of time. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I know some of you thought about it. Oh, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us of all unrighteousness. What do you do with that one, pastor? I'm so glad you brought that up. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 1. Now, follow the scriptures. And let me give you some backdrop here. In these days, this was still the early church, there was a rising up of people who believed that there was a God but refuted and failed to accept that Jesus died and rose again. They disbelieved it. These were people that today are referred to as Gnostics. Believe in God, but don't believe that he died and rose again. So, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So what is John saying here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit? The people that he's writing this to, he's saying, listen, we saw him, we lived with him, we touched him. This happened. He was here. Let's move on. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So they're trying to get something across. He's trying to get something across to the people that are receiving this writing. He's saying, I'm, I want you to, 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 to know that we, we, we're testifying to what we saw, and we're proclaiming to you that in in him there is eternal life. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Watch this. So that you also may have fellowship with us. What does that tell us? They did not have fellowship with Christ. Don't take my word for it. Look at the scriptures. Right? So let's go on. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make 
our joy complete. In other words, we want to rejoice in this good news. But why they, watch why they want to rejoice. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Right? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. What is he saying here? If we say there is a God, but we deny the light of the world, if we deny Jesus, he says, then we're really in darkness, right? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, watch this, purifies us from all sin. Some sin? No. All sin. Right? So, hold on, hold on. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Ah, oh, wait, pastor. Wait a minute. Wait, that completely just contradicted everything you said. Stop. He's saying to them, you're claiming to know God, but you're denying Jesus. And so, thus he says, if you, if, if you claim, oh, I'm sorry, where am I? Verse 8. If you claim to be without sin, right, because of your belief in God, but you're not believing in Jesus, he's saying you're deceiving yourself. Watch this, verse 9. If we confess our sins, now mind you, he's writing to a group of people for the purpose of them coming into fellowship with Christ. Do you see that? Right? So he says, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So question, very important question. If by the blood of Jesus we've been declared righteous, and holy, and God remembers it no more, then how can something that's righteous become unrighteous and undo what God did? You got to think about this. I want you to think about this. How is it possible that the righteousness of God can become unrighteous by what you do? Listen, I'm giving you, I'm not giving you milk here. I'm giving you something to chew on. But please, 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 I beg you, don't be that person that leaves here and doesn't go and consider the scriptures for yourself. Go back to the truth revealed today. Go back and listen to this. Again and again, do not take my... If you disagree with something, you have questions, please call, email, reach out. Let's go back to the scriptures. So, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that is not for you as a believer. Oh, but what does... Doesn't the scripture say that we should confess our sins to one another? And then pray for one another and the prayer of the righteous will bring healing, right, and, and do great things. Yes, but notice what it says. If you do something wrong, something sinful against your brother, you go to him and tell him, I was wrong in that. 
That doesn't say go to God and tell him, God, I was wrong with this. Now, I know I'm messing with your theology. Let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to the scriptures. So I want you to see this, that you are already right with God. How can something that is righteous be made unrighteous and thereby undo what Christ did for you? So here's the question then. So what do I do when I drop the ball? What do I do? Acts 17.30 says this, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all to repent. So, ah, you see I'm supposed to feel bad. Stop. Repentance has nothing to do with feelings. That word repentance there in the Greek is the Greek word metaneo. And here's what it means to change one's mind, to think differently, to turn around, and to do it in a way that's wholehearted, where you are convinced of the truth. So what is repentance? Repentance is this. Man, I dropped the ball. But I'm still right with God. But because I'm right with God and I recognize that this is wrong, you know what I do? Turn around. I'm going to turn around from this. I'm going to turn around from this. The last point I want to leave you with here is this. This is an important one. This is an important one. You've been freed from sin, but you have not been freed to sin. I want you to consider as we close out here what's going on. It's easy to take the love and forgiveness of God for granted when you, when you misunderstand his grace. Here's what it sounds like. Well, God loves me so much, and he's already forgiven me. So, hey, I could do what I want. Because I'm still covered. And he's still with me. That's a lie. Listen closely to what I'm saying to you. I am not saying that it's a lie that God still loves you. That's true. I'm not saying that it's a lie that God's still with you. But I'm going to tell you why I say that's a lie. It's a lie in our understanding that reveals that we have not accepted the grace of God. Listen to what I'm saying. The grace of God leads you to love God and to seek God and to strive for all that is true and good and right. Not trample over him because of your selfish pursuits. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? There was a belief amongst some of these people that Paul was writing to. Them. Well, you know, we've got the grace of God, so the more we mess up, the more of God's grace is at work in our life. He says, no, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Listen to this. The reason why Jesus rose again is so that you can take hold of the opportunity daily to rise from your mistakes 
as holy, as righteous, as forgiven, and you can experience the change that God wants to bring into your life. As we stand here, I want to read to you this final portion of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 says this, I have the right to do anything you say. I'm under grace. I'm forgiven. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. I want you to consider this, that you are free from the power of sin and the death that it brings, the decay, the destruction that it brings into your life. You are. The entire world has that available. But here's the thing. Even for you, believer, if you submit yourself to the carbon copy, to holding to remembrance that and acting according to that mindset, then what I want you to see is this, that you will reap self-inflicted consequences. God doesn't bring the destruction that it brings into your life. God doesn't tear up your marriage. God doesn't, God doesn't bring issues between you and your children. God doesn't destroy everything around you and bring you to poverty and, and bring you to, to this broken place. No. Here's the truth. We chose that. See, you really can't do anything. But here's the problem. You can also reap the results of anything you do that's inconsistent with your freedom. Don't take for granted the freedom that you now have in Christ. While sin is no longer held to your account, you can build up an account of results you do not want in your life. I pray that today that the scriptures have done what Jesus said. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for the truth in your word. I thank you, Lord, that today chains break. I thank you, Lord, that today mindsets are renewed, hearts are transformed. I thank you that today, Lord, we come to the realization that you're not mad at us, but that, Lord, you gave it all so that we can enjoy it all in Christ. And right here, right now, it's very possible that there's a few different types of people. There's a person who holds the title of believer, but you've misbelieved the truth and you've been condemning yourself. Thus, you've been stuck. Maybe it's the reason why you came here today. Then there's a person who says, I don't believe in God. But let me ask you this. Do you believe in what you hold to be true? And if you do, how's that working for you? Today, right here, right now, we have an opportunity to take the truth and respond to it. For you, believer, who still struggle with condemnation and guilt, you who came here feeling like a hypocrite, don't carry that burden. Jesus took it on the cross for you. And his final words were, it is finished. For you who don't know Christ, but today you find yourself 
in light of the scriptures considering the fact that you've misbelieved the truth that you've held on to a lie and today you see your need for God and you see the freedom of a relationship with God I say to you do this one thing believe and turn around how do we do that well you know it took a choice to get where you are it takes another conscious choice full of belief to turn around and that belief today is this that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross and pay the penalty for sin so that you and I could rise up free of guilt and condemnation and we could walk with a confidence in a relationship with God and the path that he's paid for a new life. If you believe that with us today, say this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me because you love me. Today I declare that you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my God. And from this day forward, I trust you and I'm walking in freedom. Sin is no longer my issue. I am holy. I am righteous. I am yours. Come on now, we're celebrating the goodness of God in the lives of many people. Father, we thank you for all you've done in Jesus Christ. And your word today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.